The Baptist and the Buddhist, identical twin brothers with two vastly different faiths. Join them as they explore their respective religions and how they differ and how they relate. Same DNA, different religions. Hey everybody, you're listening to or watching The Baptist and the Buddhist with Mark and Brian. And this is episode nine, I think. I have no idea, we'll to edit, be honest. We'll edit the correct number in later. <laughs> it, episode 7, episode 8, episode 9. <laughs> One of those will make the cut. <laughs> so, um, Brent and I were just talking about what we're going to talk about. <laughs> and yeah. I think we, we agreed early on to talk about kind of ethics... And but we kind of debated about mindfulness too, and uh, I th- I really think this the ambiguity of this episode comes from our previous discussions, and it's kind of like a combination of a few of our topics like solidifying and coming to a new head. So I think I don't know. I think this is just going to be for uh, make for a good discussion and. Honestly, I don't have a whole lot of notes. <laughs> I do not either. I think we are both very noteless. And uh, uh, and this episode, the only notes we have is that we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't even have a page. Nope, exactly. <laughs> so, um, I guess we can get right into it. Like, what is when you when we talk about ethics? What does ethics mean? Like, what's a, what's a when someone brings up the topics of ethics, especially in like a religious point of view or a religious like uh, a religious cross study? Like, what does ethics mean when you approach it? Oh wow, that is a really tough question. I was not prepared for. Yeah, um. I want you to answer <laughs> it so I know. No. <laughs> well, I mean, ethics in a broad term and a broad sweeping general idea you could i think could be um kind of a mashup of like of of morals of you know maybe maybe right and wrong um some might even say like a law of some sort good and evil good and evil um how to behave correctly (laughs) Uh, or how to live I guess um, that might be a way to put it um, so something in that general system of okay. understanding okay yeah definitely I think I would tend to agree with that and really with like with that word ethics like there's so much that is there are so many definitions to that. Like, I was kind of interested to see where you would approach it from versus like where I'm approaching it from. Um, and really, like, there's so much to be said. It's hard to bottle it up in one episode. And I, I don't really want to go on because I'm not like teaching a class on on Christian ethics or anything. So I don't want to like go too much into detail because there's so much to be said. I think um, a, I think a, a basic introductory 
level would be really good for this episode. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And I could not agree more with that at all. Um, and so when, when, when we kind of introduced this subject, my mind kept going back to one place in scripture and it kind of built on itself when I kept looking at it. Um, so I'm going to be going to the book of Romans and that's one of Paul's letters he wrote to the Romans. Um, because again, I'm probably going to approach this from a dispensational <laughs> approach. Um, rightly dividing like who, who, what book is to who it's, it's, it's not all our mail. You don't read other people's mail. A lot of people say that in like dispensational studies, but I don't, I don't tend to agree with that because we do read it and we do study it. <laughs> all scripture is profitable unto men as the scripture says. So, um, So we see in uh, in Romans, we we previously talked about sin and how you know people are sinners. We all sin, um, and we are saved from that sin through the blood of Christ. But like, what if we're saved through the blood of Christ? What happens to that sin? And like, what do we do about it? Because as Christians. We are saved from the punity of the the sin nature from eternity. Like the eternal aspect, we're saved from a damnation um, because of our natural sin nature. But we're still living a life in flesh that temptation and sin can still affect us. Because it, the flesh has like a mind of its own, like we kind of talked about when we talked about body, soul, and spirit. Um, and the uh, so living in a Christian life, like living a life according to the Bible, like what, how do we do that in a Christian point of view? Like, how do we, what does that mean to live? in that that walk that we're in now like how can we not sin can we not sin is it important that we not sin those are all good questions um when it comes to the topic of ethics we all see um a lot of people call some of these laws that god gives men like the ten commandments everyone has heard about those Everyone calls that, or a lot of people call that, the moral standards, the moral excellence that God provides us. So, you know, thou shalt not kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't have a God before Jehovah God. Um, all of these different, the ten, the ten Commandments are seen as the moral standard for living. And... Some people say we have to follow those 10 laws perfectly. Um, and some people say when, once we're saved, we should try as hard as we can to follow those laws perfectly. And I mean, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that because I'm not going to kill. I'm not going to steal. I don't want to. 
but Paul says my, like, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I want to do. Um, so there's always that battle between your, your mind and your flesh, which leads kind of into a mindfulness thing. But I, I just, I was skimming through Romans and there's so much to be said about this topic. Um, and the, uh, the first thing that came to my mind when we said, okay, let's talk about ethics. And I'm like, okay, morality, living this life. How do we, how do we walk? Came to, I came to Romans six and the first verse in that, uh, in that chapter is what came to my mind instantly when we, when I, when we thought about this and it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Like, okay. Like previously Paul was talking about um, sin and the grace of God. Um, and he was talking about the purpose of the law, the 10 commandments, like why was the law given? And he goes on for almost this full chapter in Romans five about how, uh, the law entered that the, he says the moreover, well, let's go to in verse 19, it says for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the disobedience of one shall many be made righteous. So like because of Adam, because of him basically inheriting a sin nature, we all have that sin nature. And because of Jesus, we all have the a righteous nature. Um, it says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So seeing kind of the contrast between the sin that were that man is stuck in versus the freedom of the freedom that God's grace gives us. And then it ends that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Paul talks about so many times in like Romans five and six, that the law was made and given to basically condemn us like, Hey, you gotta not kill don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't have a God before Jehovah God. Like don't have idols. Like don't do all these things. And it's like, you know, the first thing that I hear from almost anyone is no one can do that. Like you have to be stupid to think you can do that. Like, wow, we're all going to hell. Then it's like, well, that's, that's true. That's why we need Jesus. Um, and that's the exact purpose of the law is to show us that we can't do it by ourselves. We can't be quote unquote perfect or sinless. We can't have that moral excellency that God, he doesn't say he wants us to have that excellency. It says he basically says that we must have that moral excellency or we need God. And that's really his whole point throughout all the ages is that we do cannot do it on our own. We, we can't be free from our burden of having this fleshly body and desires and, and the, the, uh, the lusts of the flesh and the, the, the death that it brings with, like we can try and try 
but it, it just won't happen naturally for us because we have that natural nature, that natural nature, that nature to be a sinner. So Paul says through Jesus, through God's grace, we're, we're basically free from the death that the law put onto us. Like that law is fulfilled through the blood of Jesus. We don't, we don't need that condemnation on us anymore. It's like, okay, cool. We're free. We have grace. Grace abounds more than sin now. And then the whole, the question comes in, okay, so we can just do whatever we want and sin regardless. And Paul brings that up. I think it might've been an issue or a question that Rome had for him. The church, the churches in Rome, like, Hey, then are we just going to continue in sin then? So grace can abound more like, Is that the purpose of why you said that? And he said, no. Verse 2 in Romans 6 says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So basically, like as a Christian, we have the righteousness of Jesus. We have the, the, the Holy Spirit within us. We have the mind of Christ. Like if we continue in sin, even though we're dead to sin, like we're no longer bound to sin, like then why should we live that way? Um, and he goes on uh, into a lot of uh, a lot of things about having our old man being crucified with Jesus, and that the body of sin might be destroyed, and that we should not serve sin. Um, and he says, now if we be dead in Christ, we believe that we shall also live in Him. And he's talking about the the freedom not only of the inevitable resurrection through his blood, like the actual resurrection of our body, but also the, the, the freedom and the living without sin. Um, and with, with a, with a Christian having that righteousness, like he basically says, like, you don't have to sin. And it's like, okay, that sounds wonderful, but like, we're still going to sin. Like, that's very, like, very evident that no one's not going to sin. Um, I'm just kind of like skimming through Romans six right now. Um, so to clarify, <clears throat> If I understand you correctly, like the question that perhaps Rome brought up to Paul about like why we shouldn't sin if if one is saved. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just trying to like read word it to understand it. Um, it it's basically like, well, if you are saved and freed from i don't know if free from sin is the word that's word actually a very that's actually a yeah go ahead so it's like if we are saved and free from sin then there's no reason why we should continue to live in sin or continue to sin yeah i mean very basically yes and you're pulling words right out of scripture there it says in verse 18 being then made free from sin ye became the servants of righteousness 
Um, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. So he's still saying there's an infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. For, for when ye were the servants of sin, ye were freed from righteousness. So basically he's saying like when you were like serving as a sinner, you know, you had no righteousness in you because you didn't have that, the salvation from God. Like you were literally free from righteousness. Like righteousness didn't have a hold on you, which is like kind of a weird way of thinking about it because usually you see righteousness as being a, like a freeing from like the shackles of sins. But like he turns it around saying like when you were serving as a servant of sin, like you were actually totally free from any righteousness. And like, I saw that today. I'm like, wow, that's actually kind of a weird way to look at it. But, but he does still, he does shine the light on that. You're still in a, in a body of flesh, but we even like, we are, we are free, but now being made free from sin and, Becoming servants to God, ye have your fruits unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So, like, you can have a, f a f like freedom from sin through righteousness, through through the gift of God, through through the through eternal life through Jesus Christ, through that redemption. Um, and there, there's kind of a couple ways to look at this. Because when you are, when you look at like the freedom from sin, you are obviously not bound to the, the, uh, the payment of sin. Like verse 23, as we read for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there's a way there's, you know, the way of eternal salvation your soul is not condemned. You're you're free from that sin, but you're not free from that sin nature, just like that. Like you're through this life, through your through your walking body, you're always going to be free from from eternity. You're always going to have a, a an eternal destination of heaven through the blood of Christ. But like while in your life, you're still going to struggle with that. You're still going to struggle with the sin nature, um, and it's. Uh, and it, it goes down to like, can we have a, a, a sin-free life? And I, I re really, when, when we look at it from a biblical point of view, I, I really believe you can, but you have to have the, you have to have like basically train for it, it's, you know, going back to that word that we talked about a few weeks ago, sanctification. It's like the same, what is the sanctification? Uh, what is sanctification? It's, um, well, I'll get into that maybe in a second. But uh, there's, a, there's a big, as I, as I keep listening and reading about this topic, there's a really big emphasis and maybe it's not emphasized enough in some circles about having the mind of Christ and 
having that intention to, to live that way. Um, I go, I, I found in Romans two, it says, um, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now this isn't a sacrifice for a sin offering. This is a sacrifice to be, um, to like for your service, for your, for your life, for your sanctification. Um, and it says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that, that thing comes down to like that renewing of your mind popped out the renewing of your mind. Um, and there's so much to be said about that, about reading scripture, allowing the Holy Spirit to communicate that with you. There's even going to uh, edifying each other within the body of Christ. So like having a, like a brother to brother relationship with like other Christians, other believers, um, helps encourage each other, helps build each other, you know, iron sharpens iron. Um, and it, there's a, I think there's a verse in Romans that Paul says how like the law is spiritual. It's spiritual. It's not of flesh. So like really it comes down to a mind matter. Like many people will always do this comparison of sin is in your mind and transgressions is, is like a separate kind of category of sin. That's like outward an outward sin, which I, I've heard before, but that never really stuck until I heard it a couple days ago. I think like the sin is internal, but transgressions is external and it's always, it always comes from inside. Um, you know, the law, the 10 commandments, that's all heart problems. That's all like your mind, like you are, you're deriving that sin, even if it's an outward action, it's still an inward issue. Um, and there's so much emphasis on like rejecting, uh, I, I think it's verse nine. It's abhor that which is evil and cleave to that, which is good. And then uh, this is kind of like a, a, uh, a charge that Paul gives, like, a, he gives basically just a bunch of like commandments, if you will, like do this, like do this, like, um, he does this in a couple books actually, but like he'll, he says like, bless them, which persecute you bless and curse, not rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep, you know, rejoice and rejoicing in hope, like not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. Um, and that spirit, it goes back to that whole mind, the mind matter about living a sanctified life. Um, because you can't live a sanctified life without the spirit of God in you and dwelling in you and communicating with you because that's, that's how your spirit is quickened, is made alive. And it, it really just, uh, comes down to your the translation of how you think 
and how you utilize those thoughts in your life. I mentioned last episode about, I think it was last episode about, um, about that, like the imagination and thoughts. And we talked about like the eye gate and everything. Um, I think that was in first Thessalonians four. Uh, well, actually this is, this is a good verse for that word sanctifying sanctification. Um, let's see. Talks about like how he gave commandments to to the Thessalonians um, by the Lord Jesus, and how it's the will of God. Um, even even your sanctification, and he talks about. I think it was the Thessalonians, um, not as much as the Corinthians, but the Thessalonians had like a fornication issue, and he he tells them that every. It says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of con, uh, of concupiscences, um, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Um, and he, so he's talking about the sanctification in your vessel, the body that you live in. Like uh, it's you know our bodies described as a vessel or a tabernacle or a temple. Um, of the Holy Spirit. Um, and the um, the sanctification is like our walk in this vessel. And he's telling them, do it in honor and basically in, in cleanness and abstaining from like lusts. And so many times Paul talks about walking in the Spirit um, for you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Um, walk in the spirit and you shall know. Um, uh, how does that go? Well, uh, I, f- I forgot what the wording of that one is, but he always emphasizes walking in the spirit. Now I'll actually just do a quick s- search here. Um, living in the spirit. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. And, uh, this is, this is actually a really good, uh, thought that I just had with living right because he, Paul always tells us to be like led of the spirit or walk by the spirit, um, walk in the spirit. Yeah. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the Holy spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these things are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. And that goes back to what I was talking about with like how our flesh has a mind of its own. Like it wants things that the spirit doesn't. Um, and he lists all these like uh, works of the flesh, all these things that the flesh wants. There, you know, the murder, murders, drunkenness, uh, hatred, I'm trying to pick out the ones that don't have really long, weird words that don't, that people don't really know what are, they are anymore. Wrath, um, uncleanness. And he says that those are the works of the flesh that are manifest. Like these things that the flesh wants, desires, like in its, in its almost mind, like 
has that outward working, but he he contrasts that with the fruit of the spirit, which is a an outward showing of probably that inward mind of the spirit, which is and that's the Holy Spirit, um, which is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And he says, against such, there is no law. So there is no law against those to condemn us. Like if we live with those, there's nothing that can condemn us against that. Um, and, you know, he, he ends kind of that, he kind of ends that thought with living in the spirit, walking in the spirit. And uh, I think positionally, no matter what a Christian does, he's always going to be in the Lord. He says like, whether you live, you are the Lord's, whatever you, whether you die, you are the Lord's, whether you live or die, you are the Lord's. Um, so I don't think there's any, uh, there's ever a time that the life you're living isn't for the glory of God, but like the things that you do that are against God's law are obviously going to, you're going to suffer loss from that. And I kind of talked about like, the uh, judgment that Christians would face, not on eternal positions or eternal destinies, but on the the uh, rewards that we can gain or lose uh, in eternity. Um, but it, it, again, this goes back to like the whole. I, I keep trying to get back to the mind thing um, because Paul describes how like the Gentiles in times past gave up God basically because of their vain imaginations. They wanted to follow what they, what their, what they believed they wanted in their minds, you know, going after the, the, the flesh. Um, and, and, uh, they, they they had that, those vain imaginations, um, and again, uh, something else I brought up last episode, I think it was, was the conversation I had in the bathroom with uh, with someone at with someone at my church, where they had that like you see something come in the eye gate, you like you you know you basically capture that in your in your mind, and you kind of raise that up into an imagination. Because like I can think about you know, I can think about a glass of water in front of me, like just the idea, the concept. But then like I can make that a reality in my imagination by like imagining what it would look like, and almost manifesting it in my mind that it's gonna be like it. This is what it would look like, and then imagining like the sensation of drinking that water and picking that up and like making it a reality in my soul, basically like, this is what I need. This is what I want to happen. There, there's an order to like having the mind want those things and desire those things. Um, and I'm, I'm just reading, uh, some quick notes here. I, something popped out to me. Um, Paul talks about fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Um, and he was talking about how Gentiles, I mean, this basically what I was just saying, Gentiles were 
fulfilling their their needs the the lust of the flesh and the of the mind so like making those imaginations come true through the lust of the flesh almost um and i don't think i answered you know how do we how do we not live like that um I think in Ephesians, Paul kind of talks about this really well, about the uncircumcision um, and how basically Christ uh, like got rid of that, like the flesh, um, the enmity. It says that the flesh, in his flesh, the enmity, which even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, um, he's abolished those um, things that separated man and God so we could have a connection to God. Like reconciliation is basically the word. Um, and we're, we're kind of uh, – I, I don't know how I want to say this, but um, – in 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 the Jewish in with Israel they always uh they always uh emphasize circumcision of the flesh um it, you know being a, a being a Jew being a, of Israel like you had to be circumcised um but there there's a uh there's a thought I think Paul talks about having being circumcised in the spirit and not of the flesh, but like of the spirit and how we're circumcised. Basically our, our soul, our spirit is cut away from our flesh and we can live through the spirit, not, not desiring those or not uh, fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. And really, when it all comes down to it, it's it's having a a renewed mind uh, through the the spirit, through the word, and having the mind of Christ fully, I guess, fully embraced in your lifestyle. Because um, what what can man know besides this? besides the things of man because of the spirit of man and what can man know the things of God besides having the spirit of God within him basically. And so having, having the full mind of Christ fully realized or fully pursued, I guess, through the word, through the spirit is like the one way we can fulfill or we can not fulfill the lusts of the flesh and of the mind. Um, you know, capturing those vain imaginations, doing away with them, you know, going back to subduing the mind. And it, it I don't think there's ever going to be anyone that can fully do that because we're in the flesh until we're out of the flesh and we have a new body that God has made for us. And I think through that, we have to, as a Christian, we have to realize that because some people think that if you sin, you have to, you know, be baptized or tell a priest about it so they can get rid of your sin. But I mean, 
the Bible says that Jesus died for all sins once and for all. It's not like if you sin again, it's going to surprise God or make him angry um, because he's already paid for it. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like sin. He and sin. I mean, he does have enmity against sin, but it's paid for already. He paid for it with his own blood. Um, so being able to live in the spirit, we can conquer sin. But being in the uh, fleshly body, it's not going to happen overnight. And I, it's not going to, I don't think, ever going to happen 100%. But uh, that's not what our salvation is based off of. And that can be a whole other subject, too. Um, and I th- maybe I did, maybe we did talk about that at one point, but... Um, going back to like confessions and stuff, it doesn't, that's not what saves a person or that, that that's not what even makes a person whole or living right is confessing because I mean, confession is a very important part of realizing what you do in your life. But I don't think it's 100%. I mean, the Bible says it's not what, I mean, that's not what saves you um, confessing your sins especially in this day and age. Um, I felt like I just kind of rambled. And I think it, I hope it made sense. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Was that I clear? So. I it, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it was clear, but. <laughs> um, it, yeah, I think out of that, we can extrapolate the general gist of, of the idea of ethics and morals and whatnot right from your side yeah i hope so (laughs) (laughs) at least especially like in the first half of that right yeah it it was it made sense yeah and i think just to boil it down like i i heard this conversation and they were talking about how most christians say that like you can't live a sinless life even after being saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, but I think what they were saying is that like having the mind of Christ is like overlooked a lot. And as a Christian, like having the mind of Christ means we have the mind of Christ. Like that, that seed of that, of the Holy Spirit, it can and will work with us if we want it to and if we allow it to. So I, I think it could be possible to, like, according to the Bible, live a sinless life after after your salvation, after someone trusts Christ and the Holy Spirit enters them. But um, I don't think most people know how to get to that point. And I don't even know if anyone knows how to get to that point. Um, yeah, I don't. Th- I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting hearing all this because I think it's part. It's probably. I don't know. Like especially. 
the stuff you touched on about uh, mindfulness, and I don't know if you've said all you wanted to say about mindfulness. Oh, man, I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's just really interesting to compare and contrast because so much of what you said, I was like, oh yeah, like yes. Um, and it's really interesting because at the foundational level, it's so so different. But in the practical applied level, it's very similar in ways. Um, and I think I mean, a lot from, of people don't realize that, especially yeah. in the Christian world. I don't think like a mindfulness like thing, like idea or concept has really been like fully like looked at or supported through uh, through like Christian churches because they might be afraid it might sound too Eastern or something. Um, yeah. but I, I mean, think that's... it's so important for a lot of people. Like I, I saw this, I saw this, uh, I think it was from the Babylon Bee or something. It's like, um, Oh man, I don't even remember what it was like, what the sin was that the this guy was talking about but basically you know like um oh man what was it i forgot what what it exactly but it's something along the lines of like stop stop committing adultery or like stop killing or something like that said this said the morbidly obese pastor and it was like you know they're pretty direct in their jokes but like Gluttony is a sin in the Bible. Like, I I always say that everything God created was is like can be used for good, but everything God created can also be perverted into man's ways, um, and that can spark a lot of debates within the Christian uh, circles. If I said that like out loud. <laughs> Yeah, um yeah, I think the 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 fear within the Christian circles of like implementing a mindfulness practice uh formal or informal it is really interesting cuz I think a lot of like the secular mindfulness trend um it's it's huge. It's huge and it's and it's great because it's such a useful tool. Mm -hmm. Um but a lot of the like the secular mindfulness practices do actually stem from Buddhism because that's I mean that's where the formalized methods came from um, like mindfulness based stress reduction um, that almost directly came out of Buddhist practice um, I think it was John Kabat-Zinn who like implemented that into psychology and he derived that directly from Buddhism. Um, so there's like the, the specific methodologies used within secular mindfulness practice does stem from the methodologies taught by the Buddha. Um, but it's a you know it, it's not like he came up with 
a method. It, it, I think it's more like he, you know, he discovered. He may have like standardized it yeah, within yeah. Buddhism, Structured but like it or something. It's it's a it's a a function of the human <laughs> of the human mind, and it's no wonder that like probably every religion has some some mindfulness approach um right exactly there's no new thing under the sun (laughs) um but it's really interesting uh i guess i want to start with like the foundational differences (laughs) between ethics from like your approach and my approach and one probably the biggest foundational difference is uh you know, you, you talk about like the fleshly nature of, of, of man and how we cannot escape it, um, or whatever. I don't know if you use that term, uh, that phrase, but, um, and I mean, we, Buddhism shares a vaguely similar sentiment. Um, we might not call it like the fleshly nature, uh, but desire definitely is a word we would use and craving and clinging might be even more appropriate for what we use, but we do say desire a lot. Um, and that, that craving, that clinging, like it's, it's not kind of like what you were saying. Like you, it kind of has a mind of its own in a way. It makes you do things and leads you in directions that you don't necessarily choose to do and that's what craving does in buddhism it's that is what pulls you towards things and i i I will say like shortly before delve really diving into my stuff like and that's what mindfulness is for is to is to is to say hey look at this like this craving is is here and you know you're about to act on it but like or maybe maybe you catch it in the act and it's like okay there's there's this this craving and it's it's just craving you know it's 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 not my will you know i don't have to actually do it um but so the foundational difference really is that it is not our nature um and i mean it is our conditioned nature, I should say. Um, these these cravings, these delusions, um, are have been conditioned um, from from beginningless time. Um, we've been conditioned to act and think in ways that are uh, that are not beneficial and lead to suffering. Um, and there's another foundational difference that I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's interesting. Well, well while you think of that real quick, I do want to like kind of touch on that some more too, because like, and kind of, uh, clarify something too, because you said something that kind of made a lot of sense. Like that isn't our nature to, have these desires of like these lusts of the flesh and of the mind originally it wasn't our nature but it was like from a biblical point 
it was, it became our nature once sin entered in. So like I, that kind of like made me think like, oh yeah, it wasn't our original nature to have those like quote unquote, like wicked desires. But yeah, that, that just reminded me of that. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, and, and, and I hear sometimes in Buddhist circles, it's like, we don't have original sin. We have, and sometimes tongue in cheek will say we have original ignorance and, um, and the ignorance is the, the, the delusion that I mentioned. And it's kind of really the, the, uh, the, the ignorance is the root of, of clinging and desire and aversion on the flip side. And it's, in short, ignorance of the four noble truths, you know, the, the, you know, ignorance of suffering and ignorance of the origin of suffering and, uh, you know, the four noble truths. And so when we talk about, so when we originally planned this episode, uh, where we're like, oh, should we do mindfulness? Should we do ethics? Well, they kind of are go hand in hand. And we both agreed on that. And I I was really curious to see how that would play into yours. And the reason why I think that I say mindfulness and ethics go hand in hand is because when you look at the Noble Eightfold Path, which is the, the framework of the path of practice to liberation, um, you know, you have the eight spokes, but there's three categories within those eight spokes. Um, so the first two spokes belong to, uh, what might be called wisdom. Um, the, the next three are, are what is called ethics. Um, maybe, maybe that's not the perfect translation of the word sila. Um, but it's generally thought to be, ethics um and then the last three on in the eightfold path is is a meditation practice uh usually generally called concentration because of the the word samadhi that is used to categorize that Um, but within that is mindfulness is is right mindfulness Um, And so I thought the best way, the best introductory way of explaining ethics and mindfulness from a Buddhist perspective is to kind of just introduce the Eightfold Path, Um, because this is such a foundational core teaching in Buddhism. And it's kind of, it's actually kind of surprising. It hasn't been explored a little more uh, in our show yet because of just how absolutely crucial it is i mean when you look at the four noble truths the fourth noble truth is the path to the cessation of suffering and the buddha said what is the path it is the noble eightfold path and that is right view right thought right speech right action right livelihood right effort right mindfulness and right concentration and so i'll just kind of give you like a an elevator pitch on like what these eight are um i don't want to like delve too deep in it because of time constraints but um and before i go into it 
Um, the Eightfold Path is not like a sequential, you know, ladder. I mean, it's it's shown as an eight-spoked wheel for a reason. All eight steps, all eight aspects, are a simultaneous, like building of of a of a of a, of a unified path. I kind of always look at them as like eight dimensions of a path. They're they're all simultaneously there. And the Buddha, when describing the Eightfold Path, um, and, and I mean, he touches on these aspects in hundreds of the suttas, probably thousands, probably, you could probably find one in every sutta, probably. Um, but the way he kind of describes it sometimes, it's really interesting. Like, he'll say, right effort is the backbone of all the other seven. Um, he'll say, right view, right mindfulness, and... Uh, I can't even remember right effort. These those three kind of revolve around all the other ones. Um, so you can you get this like this this idea that it's a it's a complex uh, interdependent process. Um, but it's very simple because they all unfold at the same time, and so like right view will help develop better um like right mindfulness or right speech but right mindfulness and right concentration will also you know help develop an even deeper right view so they kind of just all blossom together in a way um so right so let's do kind of a rundown so number one uh Listed first is right view, sometimes called right understanding. And and before I go into it, um, so the word right, you see it at the beginning of each one. And this word samma um, means right. Um, Sometimes the the kind of explanations vary a little bit. Um, Sometimes I've heard like, oh, it's, it's upright, like, you know, upright, noble, you know, a, you can kind of see it as a characteristic of an enlightened person or something. Um, and others will say it, no, it means right. You know, like there's a right, a, a right, effective way of doing something to lead to liberation, to end suffering. And then, then there's a way that is not right that won't lead to the end of suffering. Um, and, and it's not so like the one thing that I think people need that people might have a hard time wrapping their heads around is the idea of like the, of right and wrong in Buddhism. Like it's not, you know, it's not as if the Buddha says you have to do this. You can't do that. Um, instead he's like, he says, you know, there are, there are things that you can do that are, you know, that, that are wholesome, they're beneficial and are effective in ending this, in ending suffering, in, you know, kind of overcoming delusion and liberating yourself from craving, from, from suffering. And then there are things that will just continue that cycle, um, 
So I, I really, really like the word effective because it's it just shows the kind of strategy there is. Um, it's, you know, right view. It's it's an effective view to to understand and to to see the truth of suffering. And right view is also kind is also sometimes called right understanding. Um, and you'll see a lot of people also use the word skillful. So skillful understanding, skillful view, because what is skillful is that which that which leads to the ending of suffering. Um, what is unskillful does not. Um, it's a it's an unnuanced difference between you know the traditional conventional right and wrong uh, versus skillful and unskillful. But so right view, right understanding, generally generally refers to the understanding of the truth of suffering, the four noble truths. Um, there's also kind of also within right view and right understanding is the, is the understanding of the natural law of cause and effect of, of karma of, and also the idea of rebirth. But the, from what I understand, uh, the understanding of karma and rebirth actually is a kind of on a lower level of understanding than the Four Noble Truths in a way. So right view is the understanding the Four Noble Truths. Um, the second on this on the wheel is uh, right thought. Sometimes I see it called right intention or even right resolve. And I think it's, I think thought might be a little too misleading because intention or resolve is better, maybe not perfect, but it, this kind of, this involves uh, developing the intention or the thoughts of, of compassion, of generosity, and of renunciation. Uh, there's not much more I want to say about that. I'm trying to keep this as introductory as possible. So those two are wisdom, are the wisdom aspects of the Eightfold Path. Um, and now we're tackling the ethics. Um, and first is right speech. And this is... Obviously lying is not right speech. But that's not all. There, that's The Buddha is very specific as to what constitutes his right speech or what constitutes his unskillful speech and sometimes it's easier to, to to point out what's unskillful versus what's skillful so what is unskillful lies um you know not you know telling telling untruths um, but also harsh speech and uh and I what is called idle chatter. Um, so, on the flip side of that, it's you know speaking truthfully, speaking gently, speaking speaking usefully, um, and it's just in 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 the way in the way you you speak in a way that doesn't cause suffering. 
after that is right action. And this is usually summarized as uh, refraining uh, from, from killing, from stealing, from sexual misconduct, and from lying. And there's a fifth, uh, a fifth one that I don't think usually officially gets included in right action, but that's refraining from intoxicants. And most Buddhists, most lay Buddhists, so those who are not monastics, um, will take what are called the five precepts, which you know is you take as a lifetime vow that is refraining from from taking life and this taking life is taking life of all sentient beings um so killing bugs you know it's frowned upon um so most buddhists take the precepts of refraining from killing from stealing from sexual misconduct from lying and from intoxicants um and the the Tibetan or not the Tibetan the Vietnamese monk uh, Thich Nhat Hanh he's a very a very popular very famous monk. Um, he actually put these five precepts in like a positive spin, um, which I won't really get into in depth. But I'll, some of it's like instead of refraining from killing, it's uh, you 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 undertake the practice of respecting all life um and it's just it's a it's a really really beautiful way of putting it and especially interesting is his uh refraining from intoxicants he he says you know he kind of puts a spin on it that really makes you think um and you're you're kind of refraining from taking in not only like alcoholic or like drug related intoxicants but also being mindful of of the food you put in your body and also the media that you consume hmm. and it's just a, like i i love that um and then the the one after right action is right livelihood and this this is a, kind of interesting because it 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 its focus is like what you do to make your living, um, mm. how you sustain your your life, and the Buddha gave specific examples of what would not be right livelihood, which is the selling of intoxicants, uh, the selling of of weapons, the selling of poisons, the selling of people. Um, so slave slavery is a definite no-no. Um, <laughs> um, but and I, I I don't know if he included like butchers, but that's that that, that may be a complicated topic in early Buddhism especially. But um, so after so right speech action and livelihood constitute the the ethics. Uh, of the eightfold path um and i just want to i just want to also say like the ethics also um stretch to to for the monastics to the vinaya the vinaya which which outlines their like 
230 some precepts that they that monastics take um but after uh so after the ethics portion you we have the last three which is the kind of what what constitutes the meditative portion of the eightfold path and the first one is right effort and it's really interesting because i i heard a, a dhamma talk uh, recently where where the monk says, I, I don't like the word effort. I think it's it's not a very good translation. What's really useful and more on the mark is right renunciation. And I thought that's, at first I was like, that seems weird. But then when I, start, when I thought about the, the framework of right effort, that started to make sense. And right effort, there's there's four right efforts. And so there's, and the first two, really touch on um on unwholesome mind states so the first one is for unwholesome mind states that arise to you know to get rid of them and the second one is for mind for unwholesome mind states that have not arisen you know keep them from arising and the last the the last two right efforts are the flip side of that, you know, wholesome mind states for those who have who have not arisen, you know, cultivate and bring those into our mind, and for for wholesome mind states that have arisen, sustain them, um, and that's that's the very general right effort, and right mindfulness, the the seventh, um, is really probably. I don't know. I think mindfulness and meditation is like the most popular part of Buddhism. Ethics, though, is huge. It's huge. Um, but but right but right mindfulness, um, the Buddha lays out in in the Satipatthana Sutta, which is probably one of the most famous and go to suttas, and it's the four foundations of mindfulness. And so the Buddha gives four foundations on which to practice um, uh, mindfulness. Um, and the first is the body. And he breaks this down into into the, the breath, posture. He lists 32 parts of the body that you can like go through and be mindful of. Um, hmm. It even goes into like death contemplation. Like monastics will uh, traditionally do a charnel ground meditation where they go and like sit next to dead bodies and it's like oh yeah my body's gonna be like this inevitably like there's no escaping that that future for this body um and hmm. so there's the body there's feeling or vedana uh the and i i think i mentioned this when i went into the uh the five aggregates last time and the and this is the the feeling tone um you know pleasant unpleasant neutral so you can like, be mindful of these as well um and the third uh foundation of mindfulness is um mental states so kind of kind of a, a mindfulness of the mind in a way and the last the last one is mindfulness of it's it's usually just called mindfulness of dhammas which is not like dhamma like the buddhist teachings but um dhammas as in phenomena it's like the most 
general definition of Dhamma. And this is um, when you when you look at what he lists under this mindfulness foundation, uh, um, it's it could go into the four noble truths or the five uh, or the seven factors of enlightenment or like a, a lot of the different lists, the descriptive lists. He or goes back to the eightfold path. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> exactly. It's <laughs> like, but like, I think it's someone once described it as the first two foundations. It's. It's the body and then what the body feels. And the last two foundations is the mind and what the mind feels. Hmm. Uh, so I thought that was a really interesting and useful approach. And then the, the eighth the eighth step is right concentration, which, again, I hear people take umbrage with that, uh, that translation of concentration because it's too unforgiving uh, in a, of a translation. Sometimes I hear... Uh, right stillness um, because concentration is a specific um, because mindfulness and concentration are used in meditation as as uh, concentration is used as, as settling the mind and it's not like you're not pinpoint focusing hard on something it's you're giving your attention someplace to, to sit and settle and that's usually like on the breath but under the under right concentration the the buddha describes the 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 different uh jhanas or uh, mental absorptions kind of states of of meditative stillness and it usually involves some sort of letting go of something um or developing of bliss and equanimity or whatnot. Um, and so that's the Eightfold Path in a nutshell. Um, and it, it's something you you had said earlier about, um, like you said you, you think it's possible to live a sinless life um, in theory, maybe. Um, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, and I mean, Buddhism doesn't have really a, a concept of sin per se, but it is generally thought that, you know, to master the eightfold path, um, is to live what might be considered like an enlightened, an enlightened life. And it's certainly what, you know, you look at, uh, you know, the, the community of, of, of monks and the monastics they're certainly trying um and you know the buddha's not the only one who's purported to have gained enlightenment in this in this world since his time um and there's really no telling how many people have uh become liberated but uh it's not it's not easy <laughs> Uh, but it's 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 simple um, in a way, um, and and the, I mean in short, the ethics is just how to live a life with which to 
I mean, escape suffering, uh, end those conditions that give rise to suffering. Uh, you you hear like the description kind of 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 one who's gained enlightenment is that they have they've uh, attained the unconditioned uh, unconditioned mind, um, and that's simply to say that they've they've practiced this this path that that necessarily puts an end to those conditioned states that that give suffering a continuation yeah i do see a lot of comparison there um and like you you went over like the specifics of like you know even just going back to like you know uh the right way like the right like uh i I don't remember what you called it but like you know don't don't drink intoxicants and like all that stuff like that one popped out to me greatly for because there's i've especially lately i've been always hearing these like debates and it kind of reminded me of how hard it is to gauge like are you living a sinless life or a moral life or whatever? Because even in Christianity, everything's up for debate. Um, the Bible says like some things, some people will see as wrong. Like, and it's, it, 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 Paul tells them like, don't do something if it's going to cause someone else to like stumble and struggle in their life. It doesn't mean don't do it at all. It's just like, to me, it's like, don't do it in front of them. Like, some a lot of Christians say don't drink alcohol ever. Some Christians say you can drink alcohol, just don't get drunk, because drunkenness is a sin, not alcohol. And it's just like saying food is a sin. No, it's not. Gluttony is a sin. Um, so there's like so many things. Like if I'm gonna, if someone's drinking alcohol, it could cause another Christian to stumble. It's maybe it's not necessarily sin, but it is to someone else. So like. Like, try to, you know, it goes back to edifying each other, like, the, that relationship, because the relationship is a huge part of it. Like, Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, like, don't cause each other to stumble. Um, but then I think, like, oh, yes, yeah, saying alcohol is a sin might cause someone else to stumble that doesn't think so either. Like, it's just, like there's a fine tuning of a relationship and like what you do openly, what you do inwardly, what you do outwardly. Like it's, that's why I think it's like theoretically possible to like live within yourself because there's a lot of discernment in a, in Christian living. Like, cause not, you know, do's and do nots are all don't cover everything. Social media isn't in by in the Bible. (laughs) Movies necessarily aren't in the Bible. Some, some people think they are like theater and everything, but, um, not everything's in the Bible, like written out specifically. And there's a lot of discernment and that's what the spirit is for. And that's what walking in the spirit is for. And like, that's why I didn't like bring up like the Christian living is like, don't drink, don't smoke, 
you know, read your Bible every day and go to church. Like, I'm not going to say like lists because it's so ambiguous in some cases. I mean, there's obviously sins, the Ten Commandments, what Paul lists as sins. But there's a, a, so so many gray areas. I'm not like I didn't even want to bother getting into that. Um, but I think that's kind of what I see from from your from what you say um like it's you know it all goes back to the mind and you said ethics is sila is that right yeah well there's also a sila or sela some people say sila in the bible and that's actually think on these things that's like the hebrew mm-hmm. word for like like think on the like meditate on this and i thought that was oh, kind of like apropos like Ethics, mindfulness, sila. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I like what you said about uh, community. Um, and in 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 Buddhism, there's this there's this story in the suttas where uh, one of uh, the Buddha's attendants, I can't remember if it was Sariputta or Ananda, but they they go to the Buddha and it's like, hey, I heard this thing that you said that you said that that a good uh what might what we might call spiritual friend um like a good spiritual friend is is half of the whole path like that's that seems kind of weird and the buddha's like oh yeah no a spiritual friend is the whole path (laughs) and it just goes to like it just emphasizes the importance to have a community um and I mean, that's, and we'll definitely talk about community in a very near episode. Yeah, um, but definitely. I think that's, that's huge. And maybe the next episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, that brings up a lot of good points right there. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that like you talked about like intoxicants um, and drinking and the whole debate. And like, I mean, I know a, a ton of Buddhists who drink and, there is that debate like is it is it unskillful to drink alcohol or is it unskillful to get drunk and yeah and the fact of the matter is that that precept was added because drinking intoxicants and getting intoxicated would lead you to to break those other precepts Mm -hmm. like you know you you get drunk and you start lying or you know drastically you might get in a fight and kill someone like and it's because it's 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 taking away that 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 mindful discernment you know and and ethics you know i talked about right speech action and livelihood but i mean i and i think this is like i think i go back to this sutta every episode um where uh, the the Kalama Sutta where they ask the Buddha how do we know what's what's true and what's not and like what it boils down to it was him saying like look at what you're doing what you're thinking and see is this is this does this lead to wholesome like is this wholesome does this lead to good things or is this unwholesome does it lead to bad things hmm. and there's a a story where the Buddha was talking to his son and he gave him this this kind of lecture about uh about kind of implementing mindfulness and and kind of uh 
kind of a discernment, like look at something before you do it, when you do it, and after you do it. And, and see it was that wholesome. And it's, I mean, that, that right there, like if, if everyone did that all the time, like (laughs) we would solve so many problems in the world. (laughs) Yeah. But I think, I mean, I think for both sides, the like mindfulness is there to help us discern is what we're thinking is what we're doing beneficial or not definitely i think that's a huge part if not like the core part of that yeah um and yeah yeah and i wish i had like a the the actual quote in front of me but i mean the the buddha said like mindfulness is there like we are using mindfulness so we can discern what is wholesome and what is unwholesome Hmm. and i mean it also has a lot a lot of uh, of different uh uses of being able to maybe develop right view and like better see the the truth of suffering but it effectively does the same thing, you know. If if you see something leads to suffering, you know that's unwholesome. You know it's unskillful. Like, <laughs> man, well that was that was good. And I do have an idea for a mini episode now that you that we had this discussion. <laughs> we can cut that part out, but. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's that was awesome. that was good. I, again, I think these conversations naturally lead us to the next topic. So, um, I think the next topic is going to be good. I think. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? I, I think I'm thinking. I think I'm thinking what you're thinking. <laughs> Say it in three, two, one. Community. Community. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> I'm going to sync that up a little better on audio. No. <laughs> oh, mine was perfect. Yeah, mine was <laughs> lagged. Like, I said it first, so you just copied me. Well, no, no I said it first. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, your delay, we probably said it at the same time. Huh. Twins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Um, I don't think we say this enough because maybe we forgot or forget. But please like and subscribe. Email us. (laughs) Um, Baptistandbuddhist at gmail.com. You can like and subscribe to us on YouTube. Hit the notification bell to see whenever new videos hit. Um, Comment on our stuff on YouTube, on all the... the uh the podcast apps that you use to listen to us whatever you're listening to us through there should be a little rating button or something to do follow it. us on instagram instagram yeah facebook follow us on the insta and the book maybe one day tiktok i don't know <laughs> ah, <laughs> not ready for that we're too old <laughs> We were too old for the TikToks. Yep. Yeah, definitely. 
but yeah thanks again for everyone for listening and watching and uh i guess we will see you guys next time because this has been the baptist and the buddhist with mark and brian see you all <laughs> see you all later <laughs>